Hey, this is Tanner Sherlock. I'm the pastor at Shadow State Chi Alpha. And this is our podcast where our mission is to make disciples who then make disciples. Be sure and subscribe so you can get our content every time we post. And I pray that this message blesses you today. God bless. So this, uh, this last Friday, um, I had to go in and get my, our new Acadia that we just bought. Um, I had to go in and get it licensed. And so I had been kind of putting it off since we bought it. <clears throat> um, because when we bought our Fusion, we bought it from the dealership and then we had to go in and pay our taxes on it. And the taxes on our Fusion were, it was like $1,300. And our Acadia was a lot more expensive than our Fusion was. And so I was kind of putting off because I don't like to pay big bills. How many of you guys like me? Like big bills just make you nervous. Like I don't care what it, I, I could have the money in my account. I could have somebody who gave me the money and it's set aside, but still paying that big dollar amount makes me nervous. And so I would just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then finally, Courtney kind of, uh, she's pretty, pretty tricky with, uh, her intellect. She's smarter than me. Um, she's like, Hey, what are you doing today? And I was like, Oh, nothing. I kind of have a slow day. It's not going to be too crazy. And she's like, today'd be a great day to go get the Acadia, uh, licensed. <sighs> yeah, you would be correct. It would be a great day to go do that. So finally I go in, go in to get my, the Acadia licensed. And the whole time I'm just like stressed out about it. We like it, it's not a big deal. We had the money saved up. We knew ahead of time that it was going to cost. We knew what it was going to cost to get it licensed. And, but for some reason, it still was in my head and I was still nervous, still feeling anxiety about it. And finally, I'm just kind of like, I hit a point where I'm like, okay, I got to go in. I got to get it done. We got to do this. And so I go in. And <clears throat> as I was walking up to the, the uh, uh, courthouse, I kind of felt like the Holy Spirit impress on me. Like, hey, dude, this isn't that big of a deal. Why are you stressed out about this? Why are you allowing this to bother you? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take a second. And I'm just kind of going to, I'm going to get out of my own head. I'm going to just pray, hey, God, you know, I'm giving this over to you. I'm going to truly give this over to you. Your will be done with it. Hey, Matt, can I have you shut the door? Um. And so I kind of took a step back, took a breather, got myself into a good headspace, and I went in. And I finally got to a point where I was, I was actually feeling pretty good about it. I was like, you know what, whatever, doesn't really matter. This isn't that big of a deal. I'm just going to get it done. And so I went in a good mood. And while I was in there, <clears throat> I had to interact with three different people. Because when you go in, you have to go in to get the sheriffs um, to go in and inspect your car. And then you got to go back in and get your licensing figured out and get it done. And so um, I got myself composed and I went in, had the conversation with the people that I needed to talk to. And very quickly, I realized that these guys have had a week. Like every person I talked to in the courthouse, whether it was just somebody random in the treasurer's office or the sheriff's department, like they had had a week. And so because I had let this kind of the, the weight of the anxiety and everything kind of go, I was able to actually be there for them in that moment. And so I was able to ask them like, hey, how's your week going? Hey, how are you doing? And allow them to have a conversation with me. And through the conversation, I realized very quickly that <clears throat> the, the reason the Holy Spirit 
called me out before I walked in was because he had something for me to do while I was in the, the courthouse. And so for uh, the, the protection, just because this goes on a podcast, I don't want to get into the details of it for their privacy, but through the conversations that I had with every person that I interacted with at the courthouse, I very quickly began to realize that, hey, like these guys needed that. They needed this conversation. And by the time I left, I could tell that every person that I interacted with, it was almost like a weight was lifted off their shoulder just through our interactions. And it wasn't me. It wasn't because I graced their presence and I'm this amazing person who I blessed them. It was because I was able to, to get out of my own head just long enough to listen to God and interact with them on God's behalf. I was just listening to God. That's all I was doing. So I was able to interact the people's lives around me just because I got out of my own headspace just long enough to prioritize their needs over mine. That's really what it came down to. Because I could have continued to, to worry about my own needs. I could have continued to stress about my own needs. Or I could take a step back and go, hey, I'm going to focus on what you want me to focus on, God. I'm not going to focus on myself in this moment. I'm just going to let it pass. And really when it come down to it, it really wasn't a big deal because uh, apparently when you buy a vehicle across state lines, um, it's required that the loan that you get on a certain price, I don't know the details of it, but basically the cost of your licensing actually has to be put into the loan. So we actually didn't owe a single penny or it was like nominal amount of, of money that we ended up needing to pay to get our car licensed. And so all of that stress, all of that anxiety, all of that worrying was completely, completely stupid because it didn't end up costing us thousands of dollars anyway. And so if I had gone in there so focused on myself and I had completely just worried about it the entire time we were there, I probably still would have left in a good mood, but it would have been a good mood for selfish reasons. It would have been a good mood because I was able to interact with other people. Those people that I interacted with, their life wouldn't have changed. They still would have had that weight on their shoulders and they wouldn't have had the chance to interact with God. And so that kind of mindset is what we need to, as Christians, be walking in regularly. And I don't tell this story to pat myself on the back as this awesome accolade, but it was a moment for me where I got called out by God. And so I'm being vulnerable with you guys, not in a sense of, oh, look at me. I was able to interact the lives around me. But I'm telling you in the sense of, dude, God called me out. He's straight up before I even walked in, the Holy Spirit convicted me and straight up called me out for getting myself all worked up, giving, having, giving into anxiety, giving into that stress. And so like as your pastor, so the reason I tell this story is because as your pastor, this is something I struggle with. I struggle with pride. I struggle with thinking about my own needs before I think of other people's needs. We all do it. All of you guys, all of us, everybody in here, we tend to think of our needs first. But as Christians, and kind of what we're going to go into today is, as Christians, part of the reason why God calls us to get over ourselves is because the reason we're still on earth, the reason we're still walking around isn't for us anymore. As Christians, we're here for the people around us now. Because it would be far better and far easier as Christians, as soon as we gave our life to Christ, it would be better for us to immediately end up in heaven. 
We talked about that a little bit last week. Paul talked about it in Philippians 2. But as Christians, it's better for us, it's better for the people around us, for us to be here. And so in order for us to... There's a lot of distraction. I'm just going to let the distraction happen. We're going to give it a few seconds. So, this semester, we've been making our way through Philippians, slowly but surely. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't read through Philippians yet, if whether you've read through Philippians while we've been going through this study, or ever, I want to encourage you, read through Philippians. So to test how long it takes to read through Philippians, I tested myself this morning, And I read through it and I I purposely paused at every single thing that I had highlighted in my Bible and took a second to to meditate on what I had highlighted and to purposely look for anything else to highlight, anything else to impact me. And even with doing all of that, reading it slowly, it still only took me 10 minutes to read the entire book of Philippians. Sometimes we get in our own heads about time. We start to think that, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. But you can literally read through the entire book of Philippians in 10 minutes. You can read through Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, each one of them in in 8 minutes. You can read through Colossians in 9 minutes. We over fixate on the time that we quote unquote don't have. And a lot of times the first thing that we sacrifice is God. And I I know it's, it's easy to do. And that's one of the things that we've seen doesn't matter who's in this ministry, how many people are in this ministry. It doesn't matter for me even. I, I still struggle with this. My wife struggles with this. Everybody that's in this room struggles with this. Part of the reason we tend to sacrifice things of God first is because we don't see an immediate consequence. But the problem is just because we don't see an immediate consequence doesn't mean there's not an immediate con- or doesn't mean there's not a consequence. For me, the consequence, I didn't focus on God before I went into the to the courthouse, had I taken the time and actually spent some time with God, probably would have not been convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so I also don't want to gloss over the importance of reading your Bibles. Like, I know I can't speak for everybody in this room. I can only really speak for my own experience. But every time that I've felt sad, angry, stressed, depressed, um, just given over in fear, struggling for like with the, the even licensing my vehicle, giving into anxiety. When I find myself in those pressures, those performance pressures, sport pressures, when I find myself giving into those things and I find myself struggling, taking 10, 20 minutes, reading my Bible, and then spending some time with God, I've never once left that session and didn't feel at least a little bit better. It might not completely wipe the problem away. It might not completely take away my depression or my anxiety. It might not take away my fear. It might not not take it away completely. Oftentimes it does. But I can say there hasn't been a single time where I've spent some time with God where I didn't leave at least feeling a little less pressure on my shoulders. At least a little bit better. And so I want to encourage you. So rather than sacrificing the things of Christ because it seems like 
it's an easy thing to sacrifice and there's no immediate consequences, you might be surprised at how much of a consequence skipping time with God really has in your life. And not because God's going to smite you and, and condemn you and be like, dude, Jack, why the crap didn't you spend time with me? So instead, I'm going to make your life hell. That's not how it works. But how it does work is, man, Jack might be struggling with a little bit of fear. Or Matt might be given into anxiety and takes that time, spends it with God, and just feels that much better. And so sacrificing things of God have more consequences than we give them, give it credit to sometimes. And so before you guys call mom and dad, before you get on your phone, before you Google a remedy, before you look up anything, take a second, spend some time with God, read your Bible and see how it affects your lives. And I know I'm kind of going on this rant a little bit, but I was reading some statistics and they alarmed me. And I started to look at our group as a whole and the things that I've asked individuals and had conversations with people on. <clears throat> 10 years ago, and I'll just let you know that, that this is how it went, okay? 10 years ago, when I had everybody close their eyes, bow their heads, and I asked some questions, I had, <clears throat> when I asked, of this group, how many people have read their entire Bibles? All the way through, not necessarily in order, but you've read your entire Bible. I would say at that time, we had quite a few. I can't, couldn't even count them off the top of my head. I just There was quite a few people that raised their hands. When I asked how many people have read through the entire New Testament, we had the bulk of everybody raise their hands. When I said, has everybody read through at least one book of the Bible? Everybody across the board, even the people who weren't Christian, raised their hands. Fast forward to today and this generation, your guys' generation, when I asked those same questions, I might get one or two people who raise their hand because they've read their entire Bible. I might get a few more who have read the entire New Testament. And I usually only get about half who have even read through an entire book of the Bible. And we just did that last year. We, did, we asked most of those questions earlier this semester. And the numbers even in this group are similar. And so I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of a rant, because with the things going on in the world today, and, uh, and uh, just kind of being blunt with the stuff going on in Israel right now, you do yourself a disservice not having a good biblical knowledge base as a Christian. And not in the sense that like you need to be afraid because you're going to miss the rapture or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying as, as a Christian with the way the world is headed, it's not getting better and better. It hasn't been getting better and better. In fact, things have been getting worse and worse since Jesus was here. It just looks different each time something comes up. As a Christian, you do yourself a disservice by not having a good biblical knowledge. But at the same time, having a solid biblical knowledge doesn't fix all of your problems. And that's where spending time regularly with God comes into play. It's a both and. You can have... I, I, had, the, I had scripture, entire books of the Bible memorized before I even became a Christian. That biblical knowledge base did me zero good until I had a relationship with Jesus. And so it is a combination, spending time with God and reading your Bible. It's got to be both. And so as you read your Bible, so I always encourage, read your Bible and then spend time with God. Because God can sometimes, a lot of times, for me at least, He'll unpack 
what I read in my time with him. And so I know it's kind of a long rant, whatever. Um, You can take it or leave it, but man, 10 minutes a day reading your Bible and you can bust through the New Testament before the end of this school year. Just do it. It will help you. You do do yourself a disservice by not having a biblical knowledge base. And the other part of it is, I could completely be lying to you up here. And if I'm the only interaction with Scripture that you have, then your faith is based off of my recollection and my repetitiveness, whatever, that's not a word, Uh, my ability to repeat Scripture and not the Scripture itself. I could completely misquote a Scripture. I could completely lead you astray. But because you don't have a biblical knowledge base, you won't know that I'm lying to you. You wouldn't know that I'm leading you astray on purpose or on accident. And so the other thing, having a good biblical knowledge base helps you and that you can discern better whether or not your pastors are actually preaching the truth or not. And so in Chi Alpha, I always encourage you, read the scriptures that I'm quoting because you need to pray about it and make sure it's saying what I say it says. And just because we read it here in, in Chi Alpha doesn't mean that it always is going to say what I say it is. Honestly, when I look back, I've gone back and listened to some of my sermons from 10 years ago, and I've cringed a little bit at some of my theology. Even my theology is changing and adapting as I learn more and more about God. And so as a pastor, if my theology is changing and my understanding of Scripture is changing, yours needs to be too. You need to be in Scripture and actually reading and looking. And so this week we're in Philippians 3, rant over, hope you listened, um, took it seriously, Seriously, guys, like, read your stinking Bibles. We're Christians. Like, that's like that's one-on-one stuff. Read your Bibles. It's not that hard. Do it. <clears throat> okay, rant is officially over. If you don't have your Bibles, they will be up there. I like the NLT version. I don't think I've gone into the, the different versions of the Bible, and maybe now's a good time to go into it. If you have a version of the Bible that is really hard for you to read, pick a different translation. Um, if you've been trying to read King James Version, and bro, you're just stuck at the thousand and the dilts, like pick one that doesn't have that that's a little more modernized. Um, there's phenomenal translations, some better than others, I will say that. But find a translation that you can understand because it's better for you to understand it than for you to read what your great-grandpa read. Um, and nothing against King James Version. I know that's Matt's favorite version. I'm not dogging King James Version. I just don't like it. Because for me, I get caught up on the thou's and the those and the dilts and the shouts and the whatevers. I like to read translations that are a little more modernized. Um, when I study, when I do my own studies, I read the NASB because it does a really good job of... of uh, being word for word. And so <clears throat> you can Google it and you can come up with, there's charts. I didn't include one today. I was going to. There's charts that basically have from word for word translations, which means when in the original text, and here's the cool part about modern day translations, is we have the original texts and you can go and look up the original text to see what it actually says. And so the, the word for words try to translate based off of what the individual words were. And then you've got phrase for phrase, which is kind of in the, getting towards the middle a little bit. And then you've got your thought for thought translations. Thought for thought translations are kind of like what I talked about last week with the slap 
somebody or if, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek. So the, that whole thing is kind of more of a thought for thought rather than a, a word for word. And so the thought for thought will try to give you the best idea of what the original authors were trying to say. And so for most people, thought for thought is probably going to be better for you. And so the NLT is, is leans a little bit more towards the, the thought for thought. And so this is a great translation. If you're looking for a new translation and the translation you have sucks, look at new, uh, the NLT a little bit. Um, there's also the NIV, which is r- kind of right in the middle. There's a ton. I mean, there's, I think in the English language right now, there's like a thousand translations. Like there's something for you that you can read easier. So that rant is also over. Sorry, I'm just, tonight's a rant night, apparently. Philippians 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons in such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Like, that cracks me up because he's like, I don't have any confidence in this, but I'm going to list it out anyway. (laughs) And so it just makes me laugh. Sorry. Uh, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whoever... But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A lot of times what happens when we begin to idolize this life that we have, when we begin to put our own comforts on a pedestal and we begin to prioritize the things of ourselves, what usually happens is we become more and more desperate to hang on to the life that we've created We begin to hold on to the things that we've created at all costs. And we begin to obsess with our past. We begin to obsess with our present and how we're perceived. And we begin to obsess about the future. I've heard sometimes psychologists say that anxiety is fear of the future. Depression is um, troubles with your past. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that it's a little more intertwined than that. But basically what I'm trying to say is when we begin to idolize our own life, we begin to obsess about what we've done wrong in the past or who we are in the past. When we idolize our lives, it might manifest as an obsession of how people view us in the present. 
I'm worried that Jack thinks I'm cool enough. I'm worried that so-and-so, the girl that I'm interested in, thinks I'm attractive. When we begin to obsess over those things, we're beginning to idolize this world and this life. Or we begin to fear or become obsessed in the future. We begin to look at our careers and we begin to plan out every detail of our lives with such precision that every time something goes a little off or maybe we don't have enough time for something, we basically shut down and we can't really cope or we begin to have anxiety with it. When we begin to idolize our achievements like trophies, or sorry, let me rephrase this. What happens is we idolize our achievements and they become like trophies that secure our value. But the reality of it is all of those things that you've accomplished, when you make them an idol in your life, they're a scar, a resemblance of your sin. When we idolize our comfort, when we idolize this life, when we idolize... Now, that's not to say don't have dreams and and goals. Have dreams and goals. We need to have dreams and goals. But when we idolize them to a point where they affect our walk with Christ, they are an idol in our lives. When When we obsess over them to a point where it negatively negatively affects both the relationship with Christ that we have as well as negatively affects the fellowship that we have with other believers, it has become an idol in our lives. And so we idolize our achievements like trophies that secure our value when in reality they become scars of our sin. So when we do this, essentially what what I'm getting at, if you haven't really put the pieces together yet, what happens when we begin to idolize our lives is we become hypocrites. I have learned that the word hypocrite, when someone hurls an accusation at you, I, dude, you can call me a lot of names, but if you call me hypocrite, it gets me. How many of you guys are like me? Like, I don't know what it is about the word hypocrite. It just digs. Like, that's one word, like, you could, you could call me a lot of things. You can make fun of my beard. You can make fun of my mom. You can make fun of a lot of things. But if you call me a hypocrite, it's going to get my attention. We don't like being called hypocrites. We don't like the idea of being a hypocrite. But when we idolize our lives, we become hypocrites. Because when we give our life to Christ and we obsess over our comfort, our needs, our desires, our etc., etc., We're no different than those who don't have Jesus. And we then try to proclaim the gospel and tell people, you need Jesus in your life. It's going to make everything better. But in reality, you are not acting any different than you did before Christ because you are still idolizing and worshiping your own sins. So, to paint this picture a lot better, uh, Jordan, I'm going to give it over to you for a second. He's going to pull up a video. This guy, this homie, Francis Chan, if you've never heard of him, look him up, read his books. He's got some phenomenal content. He is an awesome man of God. Um, He has a better teaching on this than I think anybody anybody else I've ever seen to date. So I'm just going to let him teach it.
What am I to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper when uh, it was all stuck together? and then had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me, but because uh, that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right because they're rolling things. But, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor, and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room. And, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I, look, I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb? It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. 
He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line, and I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. He goes, I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me, because I'm going to pass that line well. The scripture that he's quoting there at the end is what we just read. It says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is verse 7. But what is more, I consider everything I loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, up until this point, we've been focused during this sermon on <clears throat> behavioral modification, reading your Bible, spending time with Jesus, do these things, stop doing this, command this, or else this. But this is the beauty of this part of Scripture. And, and Philippians 3, the, the next part of Philippians 3, and then Philippians 4 are, dude, they get me so pumped. But this builds the foundation of what Philippians 4 is written on. Because when we have a right relationship with Jesus, when we dedicate our lives, when we keep Jesus as the focal point of our lives, when we stop idolizing comfort in our lives, when we start actually truly acting like we believe, man, something miraculous happens. Because the best part is, as we shift our focus onto eternity, as we shift our focus onto what comes next, we focus ourselves on Jesus Christ and what He did in our lives and what He can do in the lives around us. Everything in our life begins to fall in place. As we obsess, on the other side of it is, we obsess about our lives. As we hold on and we grasp our lives and we hold on to our comfort. Man, I tell you what, these things, they are a beacon for comfort. We reach to them every time we're in a, an awkward situation, every time something gets uncomfortable, every time we don't want to deal with something, we turn to this to escape reality and we use it for comfort. The more that we seek after comfort, the more we're going to lose. We're going to deal with that anxiety. We're going to deal with that depression. But on the other side of it, as we shift our focus and we focus on a turn and we focus on Jesus, we focus on the things of, of Him. Man, we encounter the miraculous. We, we encounter peace that heals anxiety. Peace that heals depression. Peace that heals your fear. Peace that heals your anger, your hatred, your pride. Peace that heals that desire to, to perform for the people around you. And as we encounter that peace, as we begin to experience that peace and as we begin to walk in that peace, that's when our lives start to feel whole again. That's when we start to feel whole again. Because I ask, why would Paul, who achieved so much as a Jew, he listed it out. 
This is a, this is a rap sheet of, of accomplishments in the Jewish world at that time. If you could compare it to, to modern America, it would be as if Paul was already a state senator and he was on track to become the president. He was accomplishing some things. That's the closest, the closest comparison. I know it's the Jewish faith wasn't political, but it also was. Um, that's the closest comparison I can have to what it would have looked like. The, the, the foundation of what he built. You think that you've accomplished something in this world? Paul accomplished more back then. He was better than you could be. He was better than I could be. He was better than all of us could be as far as being a Jew and doing the things that he set out to do. He lists his accomplishments. And if Paul would say that I consider all of that stuff to be garbage, those accomplishments, those amazing things, those accomplishments, I consider them garbage. In light of Jesus. Those things are garbage, but compared to Jesus, they are. Those were real awesome accomplishments. He did some cool things in, in his faith, other than persecuting Christians. That wasn't very cool. But he did some cool stuff as a Jew. But when it's in comparison to Jesus, it's all lost. And so I have goals, I have dreams. But compared to Christ, those goals and dreams are nothing to me. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. But all of those goals, even those goals, as noble as they are, compared to my relationship with Jesus, they're nothing. Because I've come to the realization that I can't be a good dad without Jesus. I can't be a good husband without first serving Jesus. I've also felt called by God to do some things. And one of those things I really truly believe, we have goals for Chi Alpha. Every year I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, I ask God, I ask Jesus what His goals are for Chi Alpha that year. Try to set my own agenda aside and just hear what He has to say for this ministry. I want to tell you for this year, I have a vision that Chi Alpha is going to pack this room so much so to the point that we're going to have to take down that wall. This ministry is going to expand. This ministry is going to blow up. And the people coming aren't going to be people who are already Christians who are jumping ship from another ministry because we're not in the business of hurting sheep in this ministry. We're in the business of reaching the lost. And so these people are going to be your friends that don't know Jesus or don't have a close relationship with Jesus. They're going to be the people that live next to you. They're going to be your teammates. I just want everybody to close your eyes. I just shared with you a vision that I have for Chi Alpha that I got from God. I want you to do two things for me.
You don't have to tell me what you experience in this moment. Hold on to it for yourself. The first thing I want you to do is just imagine what this room would look like packed out. Imagine what it looked like having to, to break down the wall next to us and extend the chairs because this ministry just grew. So the first thing I want you to do is to test that vision, test that thought. Ask God, is this valid? Is this vision valid for Chi Alpha? You guys can open your eyes. No matter what the Holy Spirit spoke to you in that moment, hold on to it. But if you're on board, if you feel like that's, that's a confirmation, that you feel like that's achievable and you think that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is real, this is valid. One thing has to happen. One thing, and there's only one thing that is holding this ministry back from absolutely reaching the lost on this campus. It's a collective agreement. We all have to be on board. And we all have to recognize that Jesus and His goals are more important than what you necessarily want to achieve while you're a shattered. That's not saying that you're not going to achieve things. Jack, you want to become a national champion. That's a valid goal. But Jesus still has to come first. Austin, you want to become the greatest disc golfer that ever existed. That's a great goal. But Jesus still has to come first. And as long as we all can get on board and recognize that Jesus comes first, and we begin to set out to, to change the world around us by listening to God for our lives, this ministry is going to be absolutely transformed by what happens. And it's not necessarily with the goal of growing the ministry, because I don't care. If this ministry was 500 strong and we weren't changing the lives around us, it would be garbage. If this ministry was four people strong and every semester somebody got saved, that's awesome. The ministry of four is more powerful than the ministry of 500 who isn't reaching the lost. And so our goals in this ministry is to reach this campus. That's it. But we have to put down our pride, our egos, our selfishness, and our desire to seek comfort first. Because Jack, just a couple weeks ago, man, and this, we're going to transition into another thing real quick, but man, your, your testimony is powerful. Bro, if, if it wasn't for Christ interacting with your life, you might not be here. So who's the next Jack? Who's the next kid in high rise that's right now thinking about taking their life? But one of you guys prayed and felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to reach out to them texted them at midnight, inviting them to Chi Alpha or to a one-on-one -on -one or to a Bible study or to whatever. 
Who's the next Jack? Who's the next Tanner? I wouldn't be here. I know it's a generation gone, but I literally would not be here if it was not for Chi Alpha. I got tricked into coming to Chi Alpha, but hey, I'm not saying do that, but it worked for me. Who's the next Tanner? Who's the next person whose life is going to be absolutely transformed because you listen to God? Got over your own comfort for just a minute and listened and reached out. So, tonight, we're going to spend a few minutes. Jordan, can I have you put the... uh, Worship music on. You can even pull it up onto the screen too if you want. That one, yep. I'm going to turn it up just a little bit. If it'll go up. So, I talked a lot about goals. I talked a lot about behavioral modification. I talked a lot about what we should focus on and what we shouldn't focus on. I talked a lot about this and that and talked about scripture. I talked about spending time with God. I talked about things that can help your life, things that you should avoid. I've talked about a lot of things. But frankly, when it comes down to all that stuff, everything that I've said tonight, man, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. So the goal for tonight, if we're talking, everything pales in comparison to an encounter with Jesus, then we should probably seek to encounter Jesus. And so tonight... I want everybody spread out. Everybody, right now, grab your chair. Find somewhere that's not close to somebody else. It's possible. Get some space. I claim this corner. Now, this is the fun part. We get to put into practice what we talked about tonight. So what I I do want is for each and every one of you guys to pray and ask God to encounter you tonight. Listen to His voice. Ask Him to, to show you that He's real. Ask Him to show you His presence. Ask Him to encounter you. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him... Ask Him whatever you're going to ask Him. Ask Him. And take time to listen. But I also want to challenge you. Now, this is the part where I'm going to ask you to get over your comfort zone. The things that maybe aren't necessarily sensitive, if you've got something that's sensitive you need to pray for, feel free to do that under your own thought process. But I'm going to ask you to pray out loud instead of in your own head. 
Disregard the people next to you. Because let's be real, if the person next to you is judging for you praying out loud in this room, in Chi Alpha, we got some issues. Nobody in here is going to judge you, and if they do, they can come talk to me. So we're going to spend a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. And the main prayer that I'm asking for is that you will encounter God's presence tonight. That this sermon will become real to you tonight. And frankly, I'm going to ask you to pray specifically that the words that I said tonight that were valid and of God, that they would impact you. And if there was anything that I said that was contrary to Jesus, was contrary to Scripture, was contrary to God, ask that it is blocked out for you. You won't remember it because it's not about me. It's not about the sermon tonight. It's about you and your relationship with Jesus. Don't look at your phones. I'm going to ask everybody, put your phones away. No phones. No distractions. No comfort. It's okay to feel uncomfortable tonight, right now. Embrace that uncomfortability and allow Jesus to have His presence over it. So I'm going to open us a little bit. I hear some of you guys have already started praying. Keep going, pray. You don't need to listen to me. But I'm going to get us started. Lord, tonight we just ask, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be in this place and that we could tangibly feel your presence. We know you're here. We know you're already here. We know you were here through the sermon. We know you were here before we even showed up. But Lord, tonight we're asking for an encounter. We're asking for your presence. We're asking to feel you here. We're asking for a moment where our anxieties wash away, our fears wash away, our goals, the things, our desires for this life wash away and we can just feel and embrace your presence tonight. We can feel you meet us. I pray that you would give us a heart and a passion like Paul to to truly view the things of this world as secondary to you. Give us the courage and the strength to seek after your kingdom first and our kingdom last. Pray that you would encounter us here tonight in this place. lights off for dramatic effect the music going for dramatic effect I don't know about you guys but man I felt God's presence in that when it comes down to it Here's the situation. In America, it's where we all are right now. And I'm not saying that I'm prioritizing America or anything like that, but in America right now, your generation is leaving the church at alarming numbers. 
The generation after you is leaving the church at even higher numbers. What that means is we've experienced and we're encountering a time when there's not somebody else who's going to do it. There's not the next person can share the gospel on this campus. There's somebody else here who's equipped better than me. When the reality is, God has equipped each and every one of us to reach specifically the people that He is calling us to reach. Jack. I pick on Jack a lot, but he's one of the guys I'm discipling pretty regularly right now, so I pick on him a lot. He knows it. I love him. But Jack, there's nobody better equipped to reach the people that God is calling you to reach than you. There's no more time to say, I'll let the next guy do it. There's somebody else who's better equipped. The reality is, you are equipped. Everybody's walk's going to look different. Everybody's place in their relationship with Christ is going to look different. But here's the thing. And here's what it all comes down to. And here's the, 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 the I want to say penultimate, but I don't know if that's the right word, moment where it all points to this. It all comes to this. It all comes to this moment. The reason why we're afraid to share the gospel isn't because we're afraid we're going to screw up. It's not because we're afraid we're not equipped enough. It's not because we're afraid that we're not the right person or the time isn't right or maybe that person is going to reject us. It's not, it's not any of those things. The reason we're not sharing the gospel, it comes down to a lack of confidence in who God is and the power that Jesus has. Because if we truly believe that God can empower us, if we truly believe that God can speak to us, if we truly believe that God can impact our lives, then how much more so can He impact your life when you step out in your faith with boldness to share the gospel? How much more can God speak on your behalf through you if you just take the time to listen? Your abilities are meaningless to the power of God because in your weaknesses, He is strong. In those areas where you fear, if you don't feel like you're called to share the gospel, in that fear, He is strong. In those moments where you don't feel like sharing, in those moments where you don't feel like loving, in those moments where you just want to just cuddle up into a ball and cry, in those moments, that's when Jesus shows us His true strength. That is when He is glorified. Because we get to see how powerful He is. I don't like, or I didn't, I do now, but I didn't like public speaking. I was terrified of it. I had zero desire to ever speak in front of people. But Christ called me to it. And now I do it weekly. I've grown a love and a passion for it. I also don't like putting myself out there and sharing Jesus with people. Because of those same fears, I'm afraid that they're going to reject me. 
bro, I'm a 30-something-year-old dude. Why do I care what a college kid thinks about me? But I do. I get it. I've been there. But in those moments where I just decide, you know what? It doesn't matter. Those are the moments when I impact and interact with people like Jack. Because at midnight, I felt the Holy Spirit press upon me, hey, shoot this guy a message and make sure he's doing all right and he's going to come to service. And so I did it. It's a small thing. Those small moments can impact and dramatically change the lives of those around you. And so I told my story at the beginning and it seemed like such a small thing and it, uh, I, I would even bet that some of you even asked, like, why are you telling this story? This is a weird story. But man, I was able to impact the lives of three people around me because I calmed my brain and I was at peace with my circumstances. I allowed myself to be at peace. And so for some of you guys, the reason you're not at peace is because you're holding on to something so hard, you're not allowing yourself to encounter the peace that Jesus has already given you. The peace that Jesus has already promised. So what's that thing? What's that thing you're holding on to so tightly that you don't feel God's presence? You don't feel His peace. You don't feel His presence. What's that thing you're holding on to that you need to just let go and it's okay? For me, it was money. And for me, a lot of times, it's money. Frequently, it's money. Whatever that that is, whatever that fight is, it's probably not a one and done thing. It's probably not a tonight you're going to make the decision and you're never going to struggle with it again. It's probably going to be something you're going to have to regularly walk through. And the more that you put yourself out there, the more that you allow yourself to encounter the peace of Christ, the more of an impact you're going to make on the lives around you. So we're going to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for tonight. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your impact. I pray that every student here felt your presence and and those who might not have, I pray that you would impact them when they get home and they get to their dorm room, they get to their house. They might be wondering why they didn't experience God's presence. And frankly, it's because you're going to do something even bigger in their lives. And Lord, we give this ministry over to you. We give ourselves over to you. We give our hearts over to you. We give our minds over to you. And Lord, I pray that we could openly receive your peace and your presence. I pray that like Paul, like Paul, we would stop boasting in our own achievements long enough to realize how amazing you are. That we would stop idolizing our comforts and our needs and begin to prioritize our relationship with you first. And I pray like Paul, we would all have the heart of realizing that we're not, we haven't obtained it yet. We're not there yet. 
There's something else you want us to learn. There's a next thing you want us to grow in. There's a, another level of peace we haven't gotten to yet. There's another level of healing we haven't got to yet. There's another level of your presence that we haven't experienced yet. And help us to, to just like Paul said, press on and take hold of that which Christ took hold Help us to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called each and every one of us in Christ. Lord, again, I guess ultimately the biggest thing is I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for every single one of these students. I want to thank you for their goals, their ambitions, the things that they strive for. We know that you've given us goals. You've given us ambition. You've given us desires and and in those desires, there is good. But I pray that every single one of these guys and girls would make sure that those goals stay number two to you. That Christ, that you are first and those goals will be second. Whatever that has to look like, we give it over to you and it is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And so, as you guys leave this week, I know midterms, you're busy. Busy is okay. Um, as long as Christ stays first, busy is okay. But as you guys finish your midterms, you guys go home for break, whatever you guys are doing. Um, no service next week, no Kyle for next week. Um, whatever you're doing, just remember the two greatest commands to love God and to love you.